Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala Rasulihil Kareem. Amma ba'ad. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And this is our second attempt at an episode of the MSA podcast. Once again, returning, and I'm going to put you each on the spot again, which is to, when I call you out, please tell us a couple of interesting things about yourself, not repeating whatever it is you said last time. So, Sage, please tell us about yourself. Uh, my name is Sage, for the time being. And... Um, a fun fact about me is that I did the research for this podcast within the past 90 minutes. Within the last 90 minutes? Yeah. So you're openly admitting you procrastinated, thus telling the listeners of the lower quality we can expect. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm just here to learn. Oh, very nice. mashallah. Okay. And then we have Violet. Please tell us about yourself. My name here is Violet. And fun fact about me, I am a black belt in Taekwondo. Oh, very nice. So we can test that out a little bit later on, inshallah. <laughs> and then we have Shisha. Tell us something about yourself. Assalamu alaikum. My name is Shisha, and I am in search of finding a perfect chocolate that wouldn't kill me. <laughs> okay, so you're in search of finding. So the search is to find. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so well, let's jump right into our episode. Uh, first, we're going to have our Islamic lesson provided to us, inshallah, by Violet. Please proceed. All right. So, Surah Fatiha, the, what some say is the first verse, some say Bismillah is the first verse. Um, so, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. So, we have Alhamdulillah, which means all praise and thanks is to Allah alone. And it's, it's a thanks for his innumerable favors upon us and everything he's given us. And um, Alhamdulillah is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has praised himself with. Um, so we, sh- we too should praise him with it. Um, and when Umar uh, asked Ali about Alhamdulillah, he said that it is a statement that Allah liked for himself, was pleased with for himself, and he likes that it be repeated. And um, so there's a hadith. Um, when we say Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, My servant has praised me. Um, and it said that the best dhikr is La ilaha illallah, and the best supplication is Alhamdulillah. And the Al before Hamd encompasses all types of praise and thanks. And so now we have um, Rabbil Alameen. So Rab means the owner who has full authority over his property or the one who has full authority to lead, which Allah is both. Um, and so the word Rab, Lord, um, by itself is only used for Allah. But if you have Rab in front of other things like the master of this and so on, that can be for other people. But Rab is for Allah. And then we have Al-Alameen. Um, Al-Alameen encompasses everything in existence except for Allah. So if Allah is Rabbil Alameen, He's the Lord of everything. Um, some say it could also mean just all of created beings. And um, some say it also means everything in this world and the next. And because um, we're saying that Allah is Rabbil Alameen, we're testifying to the fact that um, He is our Creator. And not only that, 
but also to his oneness by uh, by recognizing that that everything else is his. So yeah. Okay. Very good. Alhamdulillah. So. So to recap a couple of key points, when uh, the first point you mentioned was that uh, some are of the opinion that the Basmallah, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim is the first ayah of, of Surah Al-Fatiha, and some are of the opinion that Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen is the first ayah of Surah Al-Fatiha. That split seems to be pretty much 50-50 in, in the history of our tradition. And then he spoke of Hamd being praise of Allah, praise of gratitude, and then alhamd is is apply, uh, is essentially saying praise or gratitude about everything is is due to is due to Allah. And then Rabbil Alamin in terms of Al Alamin, you spoke about that including this world and the next world, as well as other understandings. And then Rab being uh, uh, our Lord. Uh, on that note, uh, a question for all of you before we get into the actual topic. One of the, the, the arguments many like to make today is that when we're speaking of al-alameen, all the worlds, uh, some like to speak of that as proof that there is life on other planets. What do you think? Is there life, intelligent life, not undergrads, but intelligent <laughs> life on other planets? What um, do you think? I say... Allahu Okay. Seriously? Okay, that is the answer for every single question in the world. All right, fine. Okay. What do you think, Shisha? Okay, you're not gonna be you're not gonna be held to account, you know, for an opinion. What do you think? Um I think Allah knows the best. Seriously. All right, I'll say let's go to you. Allah Bhalo Jane. I don't even know what this means. That's we had Arabic, we had English. I, I, I wanted to make it the third language. Which was what? Bangla. Bangla. Okay, so Wait, let me say it in Urdu. Allah ko sab What does this mean? That means Allah knows everything. <laughs> like I said, intelligent life not including undergrads <laughs> on, on, on other planets. I, I mean, There's no way for me to know. Okay, I'm not asking like, if you like have the, evidence. I'm asking what do you think? It's like the, um, there's like, there's this one like, philosophical like situation it's like the the teapot theory that i could say that there's a teapot out in space somewhere and you can't prove me wrong okay but i'm not asking that's the theory of aliens i'm asking what do you think do you think there's intelligent life on other planets i mean i feel who are we to give opinion on something seriously (laughs) seriously maybe when maybe when elon musk gets to mars then we'll have some exactly uh, i think i think we're all in the habit of making informed opinions um, and that that kind of needs data. Yeah, just oh, really? okay, yeah. okay. Okay, so who do you think is going to become the next president? I Whoever hope not elected. Oh, really, really? Okay, mashallah. <laughs> okay, you hope not Trump? Yeah. Okay, so do you hope there's not life on other planets? Or why are you not saying, Alakusapatai, you know, for the president? <laughs> right? I hope there is life on other planets. Okay. Yeah, it would be actually it would be cool. interesting. What do you think? I'm still, Allahu Alam. I mean, that always, but <laughs> I think it would be interesting to have life on other planets. At, yeah. what, more interesting, I'm more interested in what types of life forms would be on other planets. Okay, so would you suspect that there are humans on other planets? No. No? Oh, why not Allahu Alam for that? <laughs> like, would you, since you're phrasing it as, would you su- suspect? Okay. I don't suspect that there are humans on other planets. Okay. 
do you suspect that somewhere in the universe no. there is a planet? There is uh-huh. a planet. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Do you suspect <laughs> that there is life on another planet? Yeah, I mean, like, like archaea bacteria and stuff. Please tell us, for those of us who are not as well informed about the types of bacteria, what is archaea bacteria? Archaea bacteria is a kingdom of bacteria that exists on Earth. <laughs> and they live in, like, a lot of them live in, like, volcano, volcanoes and under the sea in, like, lava vents. So they're very hardy. They're very industrious bacteria. Um, so I can, I can imagine there to be, like, a colony of archaea bacteria on Jupiter. Okay, so... Uh, would you is is it possible for archaea bacteria to survive in sub-zero temperatures? What do you think? You know, I haven't done research, but if someone told me they did, I would believe them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So then, <clears throat> so if it is possible for this archaea bacteria to survive in sub-zero temperatures, then uh, you'd agree it is possible for archaea bacteria to survive in space. Yes. Okay, so then it may it's plausible that archaea could find its way on another planet floating through space. Plausible. Once again, okay, this is not a court. <laughs> like, how would it overcome gravity, though? How would it overcome gravity? Like the rocket ship. What, what so, do you like, mean? how would it wind up in space? Mm-hmm. Okay, so suppose you have. Some some gravity, some bacteria. If it's starting from Earth, like a handful of gravity. Uh, no, I mean, so suppose <laughs> you have some bacteria on on some spacesuit, uh-huh. uh huh, and then the spacesuit is now in space, mm-hmm. and the bacteria starts floating away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely possible. Okay, all right. You were saying something. Oh, uh, I was going to say like other planets have like their own gravities. So, so, so then I'm suggesting suppose it it's, it floats and then it gets into the gravity of another planet. What do you think? Then it's plausible that there could be. I think they have, uh, like on Mars, they 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 found that there was evidence that there was like once water there, mm-hmm. and yeah, when there's water, there's from. life. So perhaps there's bacteria on Mars that we don't know about. Okay, or maybe there's like a third type of bacteria. Okay, what would you call? Because like the two kingdoms we have are U bacteria and RK bacteria. Please tell us about U bacteria. U bacteria are like your your run of the mill like gut bacteria. Okay, they're not like super hardy. Okay. But they're pretty hardy because it lives in your stomach. Okay. Um, so maybe there's like a third type of bacteria. Okay. Right so and a fourth and a fifth. So then, if you're saying all these other things are possible, what about intelligent life? Um, mm, what are we defining as intelligent? Uh, well, so definitely something with an IQ on like an undergrad. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to laugh at my own jokes. So yeah, it wasn't. <coughs> you're insulting us. That's the point. To our faces. Yeah, on something that's recorded forever. So, mashallah. So, uh, intelligent life would be something that uh, that has a self consciousness. What do you think? So, would you say that the animals have a self consciousness? Uh, Are we talking about like like what what Kant calls rational beings? Uh, I would speak of let's say hypothetically rational beings. Okay. What do you think? You know maybe the jinn. 
Oh, snap. Jan have been invoted or invoked. Ooh. Not even 12 minutes into our recording. Launched moon expeditions. And from okay. there, they went to, like, well, Jupiter. Aren't, aren't uh, Jin not bound by the physical limits of Earth? I'm sure they need some sort of transportation. Okay. Oh, true. Can I say something? No, I'm stopping you. Yeah, please. How? I like that. Wow, okay. How are gins related to our topic today? Because we're talking They're about struggling with faith. And the most common uh, questions that people often ask for explanations are indeed gins. So notice the profound way we're connecting <laughs> this to the topic at hand. So this is not an aimless conversation. I think it was in the beginning. Um, okay. Not really, kind of, you know. But in any case, back to, uh, so if we speak of jinns as intelligent life, do you believe jinns are potentially in colonies on planets throughout the whole universe elsewhere? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now we've gone from Allah Alam to yes. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that since jinn... Um, I think you've mentioned before that jinn have like the intelligence of a five-year-old or a toddler or something like that. Yeah, often jinn seem to have the maturity and intelligence of a child. And a lot of the toddlers I know are very curious kids. Okay. So I'm sure they would want to explore the great unknown. Okay. All right. And so there's probably jinn on Jupiter. Okay. What are your thoughts? Again, you're not I making a commitment. To <laughs> decline to answer. Decline to answer. She pleads the fifth. Um... When you speak about jinns, the only story I remember is that how once my aunt told me that if you wear perfume, all the jinns in the world would come and attack you. Did you try it? I did. did I'm very you? daring. I do everything that people told me not to do. Okay, do your homework. <laughs> oh, no, no, don't do your homework. Don't do your homework. Get it. So I did. I tried. I wore perfume, and I went out. <laughs> I went outside, and uh, I think it was like 9 p.m. Uh, and when I when was this? Was this yesterday or when no, was this? No, it was like four or five years ago. Okay. Um. So I walked outside for like 10 minutes, and there was a graveyard. <laughs> a graveyard just suddenly appeared. <laughs> I actually went to the area. Area where there was graveyard, okay. and I walked there for uh -huh. ten minutes. Nothing happened. You sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. So you've never seen these two big shadows that are standing next to you? Okay. Back to us. You should have. Uh, those of you who are listening should have seen how quickly Shisha turned around. So, so, uh, so the question now, uh, moving from intelligent life on other planets, is why do you think? We often think of jinns as explanations for for anything and everything. So, a student comes to the office this week and uh, is telling me that randomly missing things would be missing in in their apartment. Okay. Uh, credit card would go missing, money would go missing, piece of jewelry would go missing, and then it would show up much later, like eight months later from the place that I was missing. And so then the student, it was a couple students, began to wonder 
if there is some, if there are some evil forces in in their uh, apartment. What do you think? How would you assess this? Like why they return to Jin, or why they? So the general question is why do we uh, often use Jins as explanation for everything? And then the micro question is if someone came to you with an, with a scenario like that, uh, how would you respond? You know, I think there's a gin in my apartment stealing my Cheetos because my Cheetos bowl just keeps getting smaller and smaller. Does the bowl itself? That's no, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Cheetos in the bowl. I think yeah. if the bowl gets smaller, they might, or might actually be gin. That's, this is true. <laughs> yeah. What are you saying? So does this person have dementia? Uh, so as far as we can gather, except for the fact that this person is an undergrad, the person seems to be of sound mind, yes. And we're talking about multiple people in the same apartment who are witnessing the same Okay, thing. so with multiple people in the same apartment, there's going to be one of the other people. Okay, so naturally my thought in my suggestion to them was that someone else, another roommate in the apartment, was stealing things. And Especially if it's valuable stuff like credit cards. Yeah, it doesn't seem... I mean, I'm using Cheetos as an example, but it seems as though it's valuable things that go missing. And, and, and so, so what you're also touching upon is... The way I suggest dealing with these types of unknown matters is that uh, go for the dunya, the dunyawi, or the material, uh, simple, rational explanation long before you go to the unseen explanation. That if something's missing, more than likely you've misplaced it. If multiple people are noticing the same phenomena, then more than likely someone else is doing it. Because even another one of the questions I asked immediately is, you know, do you guys, uh, do you all lock your doors in your apartment? Okay. And then think of the gen explanation as a last resort, not as a first resort. But a lot of times in our community, people take that as a first resort. I'll give you a completely different scenario. So different than jinns is nuzzer. What's nuzzer, anyone? Like evil eye or like envy. Yeah, the evil malicious eye, envy. often driven by envy. What was the third? The next like day? malicious envy. Malicious envy. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah, there is good envy. Yep. Yeah. So, so uh, a common question that I'll get and that I've received quite a few times this year is, uh, or a common concern, that students believe that there are other people who are doing nazar on them. And uh, I'll give you a scenario from many years ago. A student is driving to campus in the rain and then gets into a minor car accident and asks, was this Nuzzer? How would you answer this? You don't have enough evidence to determine whether or not it was Nuzzer. Okay. Another. Another. Um, so you can't... Isn't there like a principle like, um, there's like a Occam's razor, right? Okay. Never attribute to malice what can be attributed to stupidity. Okay. I don't think that's Occam's razor, but it's probably like a, a variation of Occam's People razor. People post on post about it on like on, on like on Reddit all the time. Um, of course, Reddit. Yeah, but, yeah, I'm not even gonna dignify that point. But keep going. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean like you said, things usually happen for material reasons. Mm-hmm. Thoughts? Someone says uh, as they're driving to school uh, they got into a minor car accident, and they suspect it's Nuzzer. Maybe they're just a bad driver. Okay. And keep in mind, it's raining, too. Yeah, that's true. All right. What do yeah. you think? Or, or yeah. um, like, sometimes, like, bad things happen to us because of our sins. Okay. So. All right. 
and think of those two things as not in contradiction. I'm cautious, however, of using sin as an explanation for, for bad things happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is some point, well, let me give you the, the short version of it, and then that's almost like a good conversation for a more uh, substantial uh, uh, amount of time. Where <clears throat> if you commit a sin, uh, I caution against falling into the trap of thinking, okay, this bad thing happened because I committed this other sin that has no material relation. Okay, so let's say I'm disrespectful to my mother, and then I get into a car accident. Uh, I would not connect the two things unless I was disrespectful to my mother uh, because I was angry and I was angry when I got into the car so I was not paying attention as much and then I got into a car accident. See what I'm saying? Mm. Uh, the, because the problem is that if we're associating sins with struggle uh, and we can't find a material connection, then how do we decide which sin it is that's causing which struggle? You know, a different way would be to look at it from the perspective of when there's a huge natural disaster, um, hurricane, tsunami, you're going to have those preachers who are going to say, okay, this happened to those people because of their sins, right? And, and the problem there is, okay, if there's one country that should be suffering the most from all of those types of things, it should be the country that's causing the most destruction in the world, which is us. But usually it's poor populations that are getting hit. You know, so like Katrina, the hurricane down in New Orleans, the, you had a lot of preachers who were saying exactly that because New Orleans is this place of debauchery and such. And that's why the levees broke and all these people got flooded. And the part that they sort of dismissed in the conversation was that the wealthy people, the wealthy neighborhoods were okay. It was the poor neighborhoods that got completely flooded. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. But we'll have, inshallah, more substantial. Uh, I think that's a, a good topic for, for more discussion. You look like you want to say something. Shisha. Um... I'm not sure if Nazar exists. Maybe it does, maybe it does not. I'm trying to educate myself on this topic as well. But I feel that many times people uh, use the idea of Nazar or like black magic and all of these things as a weapon to, you know, to defend their shortcomings. Yeah. Um, they, they blame other people for their failure. Mm-hmm. And I find that wrong because the, the person that you're talking about, the car accident, it could happen due to multiple reasons. Maybe like uh, Violet said that maybe the person was a bad driver. Maybe, uh, you know, they were thinking about something. They weren't paying attention. So how can you blame other people or how can you blame people that you don't, you know, don't even know or don't mm-hmm. know much about your life uh, for this thing that just happened? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's wrong and... I think we shouldn't blame other people for our failure. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the people who, not saying everyone who believe in Nazar, but like the people who use n- this whole concept of Nazar to say that, oh, someone, you know, someone is jealous of us or someone has a bad eye on the accomplishments that we are doing or things we have achieved. Um, that can be true to a certain extent, but I don't think you should focus on being concerned so much about, uh, you know, things that are not in your control. Um, people would perceive you, they would say positive, negative about your achievements and about things that you have, but then it's really up to you to keep your personal matters 
on the site and really move on okay. from there. Yeah, uh, so, so there's two points I'm, I'm pulling from, from what you're saying. One is, okay, is Nazar a real thing? To answer that, yeah, it is, uh, it is a real thing, a thing. I take it wholeheartedly as, as a real thing. Um, this uh, idea of, of the evil eye, and it's fascinating how many cultures we find the, the evil eye in. But the second point, uh, uh, I totally agree that, um, that we often will blame our own shortcoming on, on someone else, and that is uh, a serious problem. And so in the case of the person with the car accident, yeah, perhaps they slipped uh, in the rain and thus they had a car accident. Okay, that's on them or on circumstance. And so if a student comes along <coughs> to the office and says, all right, I think people are doing nuzzer on me, uh, it's almost as though they're saying, okay, people are jealous of me, right? And, and thus, I'm a victim of people's jealousy. Um, I do think that, yeah, people do get jealous yeah. and they do envy, you know, if someone does something good. But I think then it's up to you to keep your private matters private. Mm -hmm. Like, just don't... If you believe so much in, you know, um, that other people are jealous of you or that they have problem with what you're doing, why are you showing off, you know? Why are you, like, why, why are you, like, making your private affairs public? Mm -hmm. Yeah. My question is, what is the utility of concepts like another? Like, you can't prove it or disprove it. Um, and when it is used, when it's invoked, people use it as scapegoats, as a scapegoat. Um, so where, what is the value in knowing that it exists okay. or like attributing things to it? Okay, so regarding the proving or disproving, I mean, we can't prove or disprove God's existence, right? Why do we believe God exists? At the very least, why do we believe God exists? <laughs> At the very least, it's yeah. because we were raised that way. Yeah. And why were we raised that way? Because they were raised that way. And then go back and back and back and back, and then in theory, why? Going to the earlier, uh, earliest people we can find, what do they believe? Someone was convinced that God exists. Mm -hmm. Based on what? Can I just say? Yeah. It's because we exist. Okay, but that's not a proof. But how can we exist if something didn't create us? Okay, but um, so that would then be the first cause argument, and then then who created God? Boom! <laughs> what do we do about that now? Okay. I liked how you had this grin, like, okay, I got all of you. Yeah. Okay, no, but uh, we'll also come to that as well. But essentially, so so somebody at the beginning of the chain mm -hmm. believed that Allah exists. Okay. If we're speaking as Muslims, as we are, then we're saying it goes back at least to the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Perhaps it goes further back than the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Because did the Quraysh believe in God? Yeah, they did. What would be what would be a possible evidence that the Quraysh believed in God? Um, they had their idols as conduits to the divine. Yeah, the same source material that is telling us about the Prophet peace be upon him is also telling us that the that the Quraysh believed in God, and that God Audhubillah had daughters. And what was the name of the father of the Prophet peace be upon him? Abdullah. Abdullah, Abdullah. right? Which is about the most Islamic name you can possibly have, right? Now, <clears throat> so why do we, in its bare minimum, believe that God exists, either because we're told to, or we're believing in a text that says that God exists? Mm -hmm. And that is why we believe in the evil eye. 
that the text, uh, the source material, is telling us that the evil eye is a thing. So, in a, in a, on a day-to-day basis, when would a scholar deal with the evil eye? I mean, that is uh, uh, so. Think of the realm of the unseen, where someone may be pulled in because of 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 uh, someone being uh, having you know unhealthy symptoms. So think of it almost as something technical. And so one issue can be jinns, another issue can be black magic, another issue can be evil eye. I think of these as, as overlapping with separate things all in the realm of, of the unseen. Now, same with all of those, you will have some people that will jump to those things as an explanation for, okay, why is this person behaving in a horribly irrational, angry way? Some people will jump to the explanation of jinns and black magic and evil eye. Whereas the suggestion I'm giving is, no, you start with the rational explanation, the material explanation. And if none of those work, then you go to that stuff. You know. Now, and so we're getting closer and closer to this, the overall topic of today being just struggling with faith and finding faith. And so a point to think about is that unless someone is purely a materialist, meaning like a communist materialist in the way Karl Marx is or claims to be, Everybody believes in something about the unseen. Meaning, if I'm purely a materialist, and in philosophy this is sometimes called logical positivism, I'm basically saying there's nothing in the unseen. Okay. So if I'm an atheist that takes my atheism purely to its logical conclusion, I'm saying that there's no God, there's no unseen, there's no hereafter. Okay. I think that's a tiny minority of the world. So even people who consider themselves to be materialists, People who consider themselves to be atheists, people who consider themselves to be logical positivists, everybody in some amount believes in some amount in the unseen. Whether, I mean, I've had students, elder students, meaning in their 50s, 60s, and above, who consider themselves to be wholeheartedly rational people, but they believe in ghosts. You know, uh, why do you think that? Why do you think people still, if my premise is true, why do you think people still believe in something? Uh, that there is something in the unseen. I think there's there's a knowledge of the heart that doesn't connect to the mind. Okay. Like the heart can know things that the mind never will. Okay. And I, f- I feel like in a lot of people, your mind, you in your mind you will say, I don't believe in anything except, you know, what's here. But in your heart, it won't be the same. Okay. So so part of it, you're, you're, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that your heart is telling you that there are things in the unseen. Yes. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Is it really that small of a minority of people that don't have any belief in the unseen? Uh, I do believe there's a huge percentage of the population in the world that claims to have no belief in the unseen. I'm saying it's a tiny percent of people that truly take it to its full conclusion. Okay, so for example, let's even think about uh, from just pure straight atheism. Uh, if I'm an atheist, and if I am going so far as to say there's no afterlife, Okay, so no God and no afterlife. We don't really have a term for someone who says there's no afterlife, right? Then what is the end result of my life when I die? Decomposition. Yeah, that I'm, decomp- I'm decomposing, I'm fertilizer, okay? Now, if that is true, then you have, let's say you have two twins, okay, from the middle of Missouri, okay? And one twin is super dedicated to helping improve people's lives. Okay? And let's say that twin 
uh, has even found cures for 10 of the worst diseases of the world. Okay, Let's say the other twin uh, is the opposite, is looking purely for destruction and finds joy in destruction. Okay, And so that second twin is killing anyone and everyone, launching a genocide, pogroms, everything. Okay. And let's say they both die at the exact same moment. Okay. Um, what is the next step for, for either of them? Decomposition. That they both become um, fertilizer. And so they won't have consciousness anymore, right? So did it matter how they lived? It affected people in the short term, and their legacies might have effects on generations of people who are affected by their actions. But who cares? But who cares? If everyone's going to be fertilizer. Right. But it also brings you... Generally, I think, from an evolutionary perspective, it brings people satisfaction to be altruistic to a certain degree. Sure, but at the end of the day, you're dying. Yeah. So people might... Uh, might find pleasure in giving. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. You look like you're about to say something. That's nihilism. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah, saying, isn't nihilism the end point? Uh, uh, tell us more. Tell us every, tell everybody what is nihilism. It's basically like belief that like nothing really matters, so why should we like do mm -hmm. anything? Mm -hmm. We're all going to you know, yeah. die. <laughs> Was there, uh, so in terms of the logical argument that I'm giving, um, do you see any hole in it? If if you were talking from a purely material standpoint, purely like, material, no, there's no hole in that. Yeah. Now I might self-identify as someone who says there's nothing else, but I might choose to live in a way that <coughs> that is like the first twin, where I'm helping people and such because it gives me a sense of joy, it gives me a sense of meaning and such. Uh, but I still have to acknowledge that, with the end result, it does not matter. Which then means, by extension life is potentially not fair. That you will have babies that are being killed unjustly because of war or something, and you will have warmongers that are profiting off of it, and that baby is never going to get, from that outlook, that baby is never going to get uh, justice or compensation. And the worst that's going to happen to the warmonger is death, or even make it smaller. Suppose uh, you kill someone and then as a death penalty, or as a penalty, you get killed. Okay, it might seem even, but you're not going to bring back the people you killed. Now, suppose you kill two people. How is that going to be even? You, can, you only have one life to give. Yeah. So what I'm suggesting is <clears throat> that the reason uh, people do have some sort of belief in something beyond is because people want to believe that there's something more, okay? that there is something more to life, something more to this world than the aimlessness that is the other option, that the nihilism that, that is the other option. See what I'm saying? That option one is I'm saying there's no uh, afterlife, no God, no nothing, which means if I die, who cares how I live my life? I'm forgotten, I will be forgotten, and those people who, who are forgetting me, they will be forgotten. That's uh, scenario one. Scenario two is to say, I hope that there's something. Okay. That, I think, describes almost everybody in the world. Okay. Regardless of whether they have religion or not. 
and thus I'm suggesting that's a reason why people will wind up believing in things in the unseen. Do you yeah. think most people uh, grapple with their existence no. in that way? No, I don't think like, most people do. That hope is kind of like an emotional like thing that they... It can be an emotional thing. It could be a physiological, physiological thing in the way fear is physiology. It could be related to survival. It could be um, an imagination thing. You know, it could be uh, all of those things. Like, I feel like if you rationally... If you were, if you were from a background that didn't have faith... Um, and you rationally thought about it, I feel like you would eventually be able to come to terms with the lack of justice in the world. Uh, what does that mean, to come to terms with? Like, just surrender to it. Well, I think that a lot of people do. You know, uh, this you find... So, uh, have you seen the film Get Out? Mm-hmm. You know, do you know the movie? I haven't seen it. Okay, so, so Get Out is, is uh, a movie with an African-American writer-director, African-American cast... And it's about a, a young African-American man who has a, a white girlfriend, and they're going to visit her family. And as the day is progressing, uh, the man, the African-American man, is discovering bizarro things about, uh, about uh, her and her family. Okay. And, and then it leads to this whole big, big violent climax, and then he escapes and there's the ending that's released in the theater, and then there's the actual, the original ending. And the, orish, and the ending that's released in the theater is that essentially his friend uh, finds him, and then they just go home. Uh, in the original uh, uh, ending, uh, the police, white police, catch him. And he, and then they arrest him, and then the, the other friend uh, meets him in prison and is trying to get him to put the story together. And essentially he's saying, I'm not even going to try. Because this is the plight of me as a black man in America. No one's going to believe me. No one's going to care. So I do think it is very common for people who have been, uh, who society has basically told them, you are uh, of lower status in our society. Whether you belong to this race in America, whether you belong to this caste in, in, in India, or the social class in another part of the world, that I do think that um, people are taught to accept that this is how life is, and then they'll even construct unintentionally, they'll construct theology to support that. So if you're Muslim and you're poor, and you know, you're, you're suffering tremendously, and that is the case of everybody in your family, what is the theology that people preach? Well, uh, if you are suffering, it is because Allah loves you. And so then people's plight will be perpetuated with theology. Yeah. In, in the history of, of American Christianity, uh, I don't know if it precedes America, but there's this idea of the Hamitic curse. So, so in the case of the story of Noah, peace be upon him, there is uh, the one son who leaves him. Right. That's also in, in the Islamic narrative. And so in the Bible, this is Ham. And so people have constructed a whole theology where Ham is this cursed son and he is the ancestor to Africans and because of that there's this whole theology of the Hamitic curse that African Americans are destined to suffer and then there's multiple strains of theology all bridging from from how deeply that is internalized that I am suffering because of 
of, of my race. And again, apply that to an untouchable in India. That you as this caste, your lot in life is to, to do the, the most menial labor. And if someone's a Brahmin, they're not, you're not even allowed to sit at the same level or, or touch their food. Or if you're uh, a Muslim in many, many parts of Muslim society and you're the, the lowest caste, you're being taught that that is your destiny and that is, you know, you'll be paid back on the other side. Is it only, is it only in the past few centuries that our, our contemporary notion of like self-determinism and like determining your own destiny, is, that, is it only in the last few centuries that that's been emerging? I mean, if what I understand by what you're saying by self-determinism and such, I mean, that goes back to our whole tradition, right? That the prophet, peace be upon him, is telling the slaves you have one master. Mm-hmm. Right, so Bilal being the the most popular example of this, Yasser and Sumaya being other examples of this, uh, may Allah be pleased with him. So it's definitely uh, earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Now the notion that society is all collectively focused on self determination uh, as a worldview that might be something more recent. Uh, that might be a Western thing. You look like you're about to say or ask yeah. something. Um, from what I get from this. Um, the society telling the minorities or people who hail from a lower social class that, you know, this is happening to you because uh, this is your destiny and that is how you should live mm-hmm. or you're meant to live this way. Isn't that a form of oppression? Absolutely. Aren't you, like, oppressing people and, like, kind of blaming them uh, for something that they're not responsible for, like no one, um, you know, no one chooses to be born in a lower social mm-hmm. class background. Um, so how can you tell people that you know it's it's your destiny? I mean, yeah, it is, but you're oppressing them and you're putting them down, mm-hmm. you're degrading them, and that's not what our what Islam tells you to do. I mean, isn't that what we already do regarding uh, all across the world, regarding the uh, women in society? That uh, It's one thing to tell men and women, okay, men, your job is this, women, your job is this. Okay, that's one thing. It's a different thing to tell, to tell men, you have intelligence and you should use it more, and to tell women, you uh, should not use your intelligence as much. See what I'm saying? And that's wrong. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying is wrong. You look here. You had a thought? No. So let's go deeper. So what are some of your your, uh, uh, explorations in terms of the the notes you've taken uh, and reflecting on on this? Anything you want to share? Sure. Um, The main article I looked at for learning about faith was an article by Sheikh Hamza Maqbul from the West Coast, but now in Chicago. Um, And it was about Aqidah. And so he goes on like, he, he explains basically the necessity of knowing Aqidah and kind of how the term Aqidah has been problematized in the past and how those are all, um, to him, baloney. Uh, so basically one, one thing I took away was that uh, Aqidah is not a method of refutation of, of other ideologies. It's not like you saying that this is wrong, this is wrong, but rather it's a mechanism for you to know who you actually are um, and that the believer has to know who he or she is before they can know what or who he or she is not um, and so that that was kind of 
I, I, I that, that resonated with me because I think when we talk about knowing our faith and like learning about our faith, we do it. Like I, I know myself, I'm guilty of this too. I ask a lot of like questions that are premised on secularity. Um, but Sheikh Makbul is saying that you should know your tradition and then enter into like, for example, secularity from your own tradition. Um, so that was his entire point. And I think that makes sense if you if you want to be able to negotiate modernity from an Islamic perspective. Okay, so let's put that into a simple language first. Let's define, mashallah, what is aqidah? What is aqidah? Aqidah is, it's a good question. So when I when I think of aqidah, I think of like, you know, I don't even know if he defined it in this article. Fair enough. So, so, what is the for for any of you easy question? What is the core uh, belief of a Muslim? The absolute most basic belief. There's one God. And. Muhammad. Yeah. So, so there's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is is the messenger of Allah. And no, and I'm emphasizing the and part, because if we say there's only one God, uh, inshallah, you you are not committing shirk, but then. Uh, you can't separate uh, the the fact of Muhammad being the messenger of God as part of that. So that is our most central, central um, uh, 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 theology. Now, what we're what Aqidah is saying, the idea of Aqidah is uh, the word is coming from the word Aqd, which is like a knot. And so imagine you're tying a bunch of people together uh, with a knot. Okay. So Aqidah is saying that if you believe La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, then as a consequence, you need to believe these other things too. Okay. You have to believe in angels. You have to believe in, in the books. You have to believe in other messengers. You have to believe in the Day of Judgment. You have to believe in, in divine decree, uh, you have to, uh, good or bad. You have to believe in the rising from the dead, the resurrection that will happen on the Day of Judgment. So it's a short list of things. That if I believe La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, I have to believe those things too. And then in addition, it's that you have to believe in Allah with all of his attributes and all of his commands with the intention of trying to fulfill his commands. And then if you have that, then it expands further. And so so the field that we call Aqidah, uh, begins, give or take, about 100 years or so after the death of the Prophet, peace be upon him, a little bit less. This is the era of Abu Hanifa. And he is seeing all kinds of people who are self-identifying as Muslims, but he's saying there's fundamental problems in their the things that they're believing in. So when we uh, when we speak of fiqh, what are we usually talking about? What aspect of Islam? Like practice. Practice meaning Islamic law. Yeah. So he writes a book, Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. The big fiqh, which is literally a, an elucidation in just a bunch of paragraphs. It's very short of, if you believe in the shahada, these are all the things you also need to believe in too. Okay? It's literally, if we just wrote it in prose, it'd probably be a page long. Okay? The commentaries seem to be really huge. And who was that? Abu Hanifa. Oh, okay. and, and the basic point is that if you believe in the shahada, this is what else you need to believe in. So, for example, today there are many people across sectarian lines who self-identify as Muslim, 
And the big ones are Sunni and Shia, of course. Now, Sunni and Shia, in most basic doctrine, they tend to overlap quite a bit. But then you will also have the Ahmadiyya, people who self-identify as Muslim. And those who Sunnis, among the Ahmadiyya, those who Sunnis call Qadianis. And there, uh, uh, Sunnis and Shias will look at Qadianis and say, no, you are not a Muslim because of these issues in your belief. Or Sunnis and Shias will look at members of the Nation of Islam and say, because of these beliefs that you have, you are by definition not a Muslim. Yet, if a person is part of the Nation of Islam, they wholeheartedly see themselves as Muslim. And so that's Al-Fiqh Al-Akbar. And so that has been rewritten and rewritten. And the most common text that is taught, especially in, in, in Sunni circles, is is the Aqidah of Imam Tahawi, which is from about the 900s. And again, the whole thing is literally about a page long. A book version might be 20, 60, 80 pages, um, because it'll be, it's literally individual sentences, right? Um, there's one God, there's nothing like him, things like that. And so it's laying out the axioms of belief in Islam. And so, so then further in terms of, of, of the, the interesting points we made, mashallah, was that Sheikh Mahbul is saying, all right, you have to get sound in this before you even get into practice. Because you have to know what you are, you have to know what you believe. Mm-hmm. And then you especially have to get sound in this before looking at what other people practice. That, I think, is a very, very wise uh, statement. That uh, one approach, the common approach we imagine, is a person's looking for religions, you know, but they're not positioning themselves in any of them. And they're just going to look at every single religion. They're going to get used to not picking a religion. And, and so they've studied ten different comp- uh, claims of truth, and they wind up accepting none. Uh, and then they position themselves that way. And so they're technically not part of a community, even though they think they're part of a community. And then mm-hmm. in the long term, no one takes them seriously. Right. Are we talking about like scholars or lay people? Lay people who uh-huh. are just searching. Okay. Yeah. Uh, another approach is that you start with whatever it is you have and keep practicing that. And with that as your foundation, then you go search at other traditions. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, because now you're actually making a choice with a belief. And then you may find a belief system that seems to have a stronger depiction of truth and authenticity than what yours has. Then sometimes it's a question of, of your ego that will either compel you to, to switch religions or compel you to look for a reason not to change your religion. But, yeah, I think that the article you, you, you presented is a, is a strong one. What are some things you have from your end? Um, so I found this very interesting article. It's called "Are You Even a Muslim?" Uh, from MuslimGoals.com, and um, I think that article was very interesting because the question itself, "Are you even a Muslim?" Uh, it's a wrong question to ask because you don't know about someone's struggle. You don't know what they've been through or you know their journey to Islam. So how can you? How can you like judge other people based on? their appearance or like their beliefs, um, things that they do. Um, one, actually there are two very interesting points in the article. One of them was that um, whether a black face with a traditionally wrapped hijab could be a Muslim or not, or a girl who wears leggings can be a Muslim or not, or someone who has tattoos in her arms can be a Muslim or not. So. In order to be accepted as this viable Muslim, you have to be Middle Eastern. You have to wear abaya. You have to speak Arabic, um, which, according to the article, is 
is a huge issue because you can um you sorry you're fine because the, the the whole point was that if it is so simple to be a muslim in allah's eyes you just have to uh say the shahada and then you become a muslim it barely takes five minutes then why do we humans make it so complicated mm. why do we uh, place so many restrictions on what is acceptable or not because you don't like you are not perfect you know you also have a lot of shortcomings so like how can you question someone else's faith how can you raise fingers at the way they dress or the way they look and that's a huge problem like what about the black muslims what about the dark skin middle eastern people um hispanic indian european white people like you can't really say that you have to speak arabic you have to you know be this white skin middle eastern who wears hijab to be a muslim and yeah. that's basically what the article explores what do you think about it what they're saying I I totally agree. Um, I think that uh, first of all, perfection does not exist. Um, no matter how much you try, you can't be perfect in everything. Um, our faith teaches us to learn from other people and grow. It does not tell us to judge other people, and you know to mock them. Um, that's actually. I, I think it's against Islam. Um, you should respect other people. You should, of course, tell them what you think is right and wrong. Uh, have that constructive discussion with other people, but don't degrade them. Don't make them feel that they don't they do not belong. Because then, in a way, you're you're kind of forcing them to, you know, run away from the religion, from the faith. You you can advise them, but do it in a way that they understand don't be strict don't force them to believe something that they probably do not but instead like try and have a healthy conversation with them mm -hmm. what do you think um i think you bring up a good point about how like we don't know anyone's sincerity and like even the angels don't know the sincerity of our deeds like they just record them and Allah decides whether or not to accept them and when we're talking about like advising people we have to remember that that we don't know their sincerity. We don't know even our sincerity. So we should be hesitant to look at the faults of others before we look at our own faults. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I think, how do, you, how do you even go about having a constructive conversation with them? One, oh, sorry. One, a conversation that brings those things up in a negative way is perceived as an attack. Um, um, explain, what does that mean? Like, if someone has tattoos, I don't think it's my place to even bring it up, you know? Um, so, see, these are two very different points. When I say constructive discussion, I mean that all of us here, like in this room, we come from different backgrounds and we have different beliefs and mm -hmm. opinions about a lot of issues. And it, it is okay to talk about them without making someone feel that they do not belong there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, you can have a valid discussion, you can disagree. Like, if, if I don't agree with your opinion, I can say that I don't agree because this is why. Yeah. But you can't, you can't tell people that, you know, 
there you can just be outright and say like you're wrong you know this is not right like uh just because i feel this is not right i mean yeah that's your opinion but then respect what other person is saying even if you don't agree with that person and that is what i mean by a constructive discussion but yeah the if uh, the whole uh, point about you know someone having tattoos or someone uh you know um uh wearing uh tight leggings whatever that that's their choice and i don't think you are in the place to question them because if you if you are judging someone based on what they're choosing to do then you yourself you're showing that you're not perfect because mm-hmm. you can't judge other people right so where where is where do you think the venue is for those kind of conversations where should they happen or how or how i think I've had a lot of these conversations like with my with my family like my sister especially and they always somehow turn to hostility. Okay. Right. Right. Because people don't like to be criticized. Mm-hmm. It's in their nature. And so what I've found is what's best is if I I bring something up but I don't talk about it. And then then slowly they'll think about it themselves and then they'll come to their own conclusions and they'll realize that maybe what they were doing wasn't right. Mm-hmm. And and another thing make draw for them. Okay. Because draw is very powerful. Mm-hmm. And I have seen the power of that in how my sister is now versus for how yeah. she was before. Good. Much love. So so what we're touching on here is is that uh, <coughs> another big element or challenge of faith is community and community is a way that people can lose faith and community is a way that people can find faith so shisha at the heart of what i'm hearing in your article is is how people are speaking to each other right so that's a community matter you know that um that if we do truly take ourselves as brothers and sisters uh, that means that there is a certain type of built-in assumed love in the conversation. Now, what often happens is that, uh, think of the way any of you speak about speak to your siblings or your closest relatives. There's probably a certain informality there, too. And one thing that is, uh, uh, one thing that is often confused in our community is that People are actually speaking to each other with this type of informality. Okay? Uh, but what's forgotten is the assumption that love is there between between each other. Mm. See what I'm saying? That often we take the approach that we should speak to each other with, with a certain amount of respect and kindness. And that is obviously true. But if we're truly speaking about each other as brothers and sisters, then that means um, there's going to be a certain amount of of finger pointing there's going to be a certain amount of squabbling a certain amount of fighting and such but because love is the built-in thing then soon we're all going to come back together yeah see what i'm saying uh that this is commonly the opposite what i'm actually suggesting is the opposite of how people think it should be the way people think it should be is nobody should get into my business okay and nobody should judge me and nobody should tell me what to do uh, that, I think, is a very, very modern American phenomenon. Okay. Now, <clears throat> if I'm sticking my nose in your business, okay, uh, 
chances are I am probably crossing boundaries. Now, if I'm gossiping about you, if I'm saying bad things about you behind your back, then I'm definitely crossing a boundary. Yeah. Go ahead. According to me, um, the, the point of community, I, I see community as a family. And when you are in the same family, you fight, you have disagreements, uh-huh. um, you know, you uh, go through some bad situations. But at the end of the day, you are concerned for each other. So you yeah. come back together again and you have a fresh start. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a very interesting article that I found uh, in the same... Uh, okay, go, go, go to the article. Yeah. Same website. It's called How Some of the Muslims at My Masjid Almost Turned Me Away from Islam. Okay. And uh, the article talks about how there were many judgmental adults that he or she hoped would inspire other people instead of degrading them, but it was the opposite. They... they uh, degraded young Muslims, um, their ideologies. Um, it was uh, it, it was about how um, they had to hear a lot of insulting comments from their own masjid members that, oh, um, anything that does not fit into that ideal Islamic lifestyle is forbidden, it's haram. Um, they, were, they were expected to not talk about topics like relationships, mental health, uh, Etc. Because those are just wrong, and you know they're useless. There's no uh, positive discussion that you can have about those topics, and it increased to an extent that a lot of those young Muslims they started questioning themselves: that mm-hmm. do I even count as a Muslim anymore? Um, so there was this constant judgment from them, and I think as adult uh, people in the society, it is your responsibility to make people feel welcomed Mm -hmm. uh, to make people feel that they belong here even if you think that they're doing something wrong you can of course correct them you can you can explain them what they're doing wrong but you shouldn't do it in a way that they feel that they don't belong there Mm -hmm. you shouldn't degrade them so like the whole point of a positive community is that yeah people will disagree with each other but then um, do it in a way that it's it's respectful. Mm-hmm. Do it in a way that you are not being way too strict, mm-hmm. and you're not putting someone down. Like having a discussion over, okay, this is wrong. I feel you shouldn't do this. Is one thing, but gossiping about that person is another thing. Mm-hmm. And um, if you have, if you are in that position of power, you know, you uh, people see you as a respectable member then I think you should know the difference between the two. Thoughts? I think I agree with everything you said. And to add to that, I think a lot of the times it's it's very arrogant of the default community members, like the people who are there before newcomers, the people who are there um, through the racial status quo or or the sectarian status quo. I find that a lot of times there's a very arrogant, like superior air about them, where they assume that the way they've been doing things for uh, 10, 20 years is correct when they could very easily be wrong. Um, So I'm talking about maybe not issues of, like, um, tattoos, but, you know, things about building community and things about um, building space for people. And I, I think people just like to do things the way they're used to a lot of times, and... Um, that lends to alienation f- to other people. 
I agree because I agree because the thing is that people don't like to be criticized. Their ego comes in between. If if someone says that you're wrong because of this or this reason or you know maybe this is the better way to do something like this. People feel attacked that oh uh, my position is in power, you know, um someone is going to uh take away my position from me. But I think people should realize that that is life. Like nothing stays forever and someone has to come and replace you. So just accepting that fact that you know yeah, uh I have been here. I have worked extremely hard to make this a better community, but someone has to replace me because that is life. I think that's something that we should acknowledge, mm-hmm. which many times we do not. I I think another like consideration that's like lacking a lot of the times in these like um these older community members who who um who truly they truly mean well like everyone means well but um they forget the sunnah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi he was very kind and he was very humble and he was gentle and and even like he would he would take time out of his day to do things just just because people asked him to and i think we need more of that in our communities mm-hmm. more people who are willing to humble themselves and realize that even if maybe they are like the president of the masjid or they're in charge of something they're not above anyone so i'm going to give you some <coughs> uh uh which is sort of putting all your points together i'm going to give you some foundational concepts to 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 consider in terms of how community uh should operate uh so what what uh, especially this last round of points all three of you made uh were implicit in there is a sense that the person who is somehow in the center of a community like it's an islamic center a mosque or 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 what have you you know let's say they consider themselves to be in the center because of of ethnic racial background um here in my mouth anyway so um the approach that they often take is demanding your respect and then demanding your conformity okay which by definition is just going to ruin a community and so a point we've already mentioned is that the default should be uh love for a community so let's say you are running an organization whether it's a mosque or an MSA uh let's put that on the side for a second uh let's say uh someone uh um in a dinner party a stranger comes to your house How are you going to what are you going to do with that stranger? Were they invited? They were invited. You going to kick them out or what are you going to do? Make tea for them, make yeah. food for yes, them. Yes, exactly. Or, or are you going to say, "Okay, here's what you need to learn, blah 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 blah." Obviously, you're not going to do that, right? Yeah, you're going to treat them like a guest. And and which means you're going to give them a certain amount of honor and respect and attention. So now each of the four of us and then by extension an MSA or uh uh a a a suburban or city mosque community if you have an event and you see someone there that you don't know and you're used to being part of you know part of the default community 
what is that then obliging you to do? It's obliging you to treat that person as a guest and give them attention and serve them and all those things. Okay. So that's how then you illustrate the default love. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to share an experience. Um, so I wasn't involved with MSA for my freshman year. I joined when I was a sophomore and um, I had my own reasons as of why I wasn't involved my freshman year. But when I came in, I really felt from, if not everyone, but from majority of people that I belong here, that although I'm new, but there's enough space for me to be here, you know, to give my opinion, to express what I feel is right or wrong, to share my ideas, which is why now I just feel a lot more open and, you know, I'm just more involved because it was the people, the people of MSA community who made me feel like that I belong here. So it's just something that I went through, but I feel a lot of people, they feel like, you know, their voices are not heard or their opinions are not going to be valued, which is why they stop themselves from saying things that they believe in. And I think the whole point of, again, going back to community is the fact that you should empower people to express themselves and not really, you know, not really prevent them to just stay on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, make them uh, or like allow them to make sound choices and i think the the way you can do that is if you make them feel that they are they they belong here mm-hmm. that they're part of the community yeah and how do you how do you make them feel like they're part of the community how did what did people if you remember what did people do to you or for you to make you feel like you're part of the community um so i feel that the people are really busy and it's okay uh i think that's with all of us but if someone is passing by and you you know you know them or you've seen them somewhere or something like that then greet them like say assalamu alaikum that's not hard it's a very simple thing to do it takes barely a few seconds and that itself shows that okay you know this other person is greeting me and you know they they respect me and that they're making me feel that I belong here. But if you just pass by without saying anything, um, if someone says salam to you, you don't reply back, then what does that say about you? Okay. And I... Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. You were saying something? Okay. So I... um, And I have been in both of the situations, um, to be fair. Um, But, yeah, there were people who made me... You know, they they, they did very small things. Like, um, I remember... um, for one of my classes, um, I was carrying a very heavy equipment and someone came and they were like, you need help, um, let me help you, let me drop you. Uh, and I think those small gestures, they they show, those small gestures, I think they, they, they show that, you know, who, uh, how the other person is like and just the way they're treating you, that speaks a lot about their character. And I think... As uh, people of the same community, what we should do is we should just do these small things like greeting the other person, uh, you know, maybe if we see someone, uh, you know, they're sitting on their own, just go to them and be like, hey, how are you? Are you doing good? Is there something I can do for you? Like those few words can change a lot. Mm -hmm. And those were the things that a lot of um, MSA members uh, 
did for me at that time. So I feel very grateful because if they did not do all of that for me, I don't think I would have been here, you know, in as part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. You were saying something. I think when a stranger says "Assalamualaikum" to you, it's one of the most beautiful things because you're you're acknowledging that the only reason that you two have a connection is because of Allah, and because of that connection. Dear their brother or sister, mm-hmm. yeah, and that really does make you feel welcome. Yeah, I think that's that's uh, that's also a wonderful point, mashallah. So, so then building on this, we're saying that all right, there should be a default uh, sentiment of love for your brother or sister, and then then that manifests uh, by welcoming them in, treating them as a guest, giving them inten- uh, attention and such. Um, uh, is it okay for a person to provide critique of their brother and sister? If yes, starting when? Or if no, why not? What do you think? I mean, the, the, the discussion that we've been having is that no one is in a position to criticize anybody else. But I feel like if it's a mutual thing, if you're both in a... I mean, if it's a conversation in private... And you're both in a position where you can give each other advice and not just one person giving the other person advice. I think that's in a, uh, that's a situation where I would feel comfortable critiquing a person. Okay. Other thoughts? I think it depends. I think it depends on the form of the critique. Uh, are you criticizing them in front of five other people? Mm-hmm. Then that's wrong. You sh- definitely should not do that because you're putting them in a very uncomfortable spot. But if you know that person and you know they're they're a friend, and you guys are alone and you know you see them, you see that they're struggling with something, then having that conversation or perhaps like critiquing them and also like just having that discussion with them, I think that's fine so it really depends on to what extent you're you're doing it you can critique someone but you can also you should also give them uh that chance to express what they think and where they're coming from Mm -hmm. what do you think i think your love for that person has to be established first before you critique them Mm -hmm. so that they know that what you're saying is because you love them and not because you're trying to tear them down Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how do we do that this is a, a very common question I get. Uh, um, is uh, a student is asking, okay, I have a friend who is going off the rails. Uh, am I allowed to tell them that I think they're doing something wrong? What do you think? So, so how do you how do you make it clear that it's coming from love? What do you think? Just tell them straight up. I'm doing this because I love you. Okay. And on top of that, do other do like smaller things before you get to this point, like like I don't know, buy them things or I don't know, just do nice things. For, I don't know, like mm-hmm. just do small deeds. Small deeds matter. Okay. And once they realize that you actually do care about them, then they'll be more inclined to listen to you. Mm-hmm. I think just look out for them. We make things very complicated by thinking, oh, if we do this, then this is going to happen. If we do that, then this might go wrong. I mean, yeah, that's a possibility, but you don't have to make things so complicated. Just just look out for each other. You know, Just express your love for each other. Um, 
if you see someone struggling, go and help them out. What what is so hard about it? Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure people will see your goodwill and they will acknowledge you. And then if you see that someone is doing something wrong, in your opinion, then just talk to them. Um, I think a lot of friendships or relationships they they do not survive because of lack of communication. So mm-hmm. it's better to be open and straightforward than keeping things inside you and you know uh, holding grudges or like just just not talking i think it's also important if you're talking to someone to not presume to know like what is actually going on um and to give them the agency to express themselves um and if they don't want to share with you their struggle give them that space because you, I, I feel like it kind of approaches that arrogance um, if you approach someone and you your premise is that you're doing something wrong um, and if, if it comes from like going along the lines of love and um, all that jazz um, <laughs> expressing concern I think is the most conducive way to uh, get someone to change their behavior or open up to you like if you're concerned about someone they're they're going to trust you but if you tell them I've noticed that you're doing or if you tell them this thing that you're doing is wrong then that's it, may, it gets people defensive I know at least for me um, that's my two cents yeah. another thing is maybe don't tell them that they're doing something wrong but just tell them some more good things that they could be doing like, like last night, I had a beautiful conversation with a couple of my friends. We all prayed, and then after, we were just sitting in the masjid. And we were just telling each other different little tips and little things, little hadith and stuff that maybe we could benefit from. And in that situation, no one was necessarily critiquing each other, but we were all giving each other advice that could perhaps lead to the onset of maybe stopping some of the... I don't know wrong behaviors that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So, 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 uh, a couple of things I'm picking up from your comments. Um, one, this last comment that you made, uh, made Violet, that uh, if not uh, criticizing uh, the apparent wrong that someone is doing, uh, see if you can guide people to do more good things. I think that's an important point. And then in both of your comments, Shisha and and Sage. Um, built into what I think both of you are saying is that uh, the proximity two people have to each other is going to dictate what is appropriate in terms of critiquing or not critiquing. Meaning, if it's two close friends and it's understood that they care about each other, then it's more okay uh, to give criticism and you're going to be more willing to give criticism. If, however, you're just two acquaintances and one person is giving critique to the other, even if it's purely out of love and compassion and caution for them, the recipient is probably going to get defensive, and and yeah, absolutely, I I, I agree with with uh, with all these points. Uh, I don't like the sentiment that a lot of us have in our community of don't judge, don't judge, because the first thing that I notice is the people who say don't judge me or don't judge them. Those people often tend to be the most judgmental of of uh, of them all. Uh, nevertheless. Uh, there is that common saying that if you're pointing a finger at someone, remember that three fingers are are pointing back at you. Uh, 
And so if you are seeing a flaw in someone, uh, right now for those of you who are listening, Sage is actually testing his hand to to see that the three fingers are pointing back at him. It seems what if stuff. I gesture with my whole hand? Then, then you're not really pointing, you're gesturing with your whole hand, mashallah. All four fingers, but then the thumb is pointing up. Okay, so now all five. Okay, so in any case, so so now I've completely lost my th- train of thought. Let me remember what I was trying to say, so I'm just going to keep babbling for a second, and then maybe it'll come back to me. Three, don't judge, don't judge. You, just, you don't like that attitude of... Yeah, it was something after that. And the people who say don't judge are often the most judgmental. Um, yeah, it was right after that. We could go record. And that's where we stopped. Because three fingers are pointing back at you. Yeah, I mean, you were doing that while I was... Okay, in any case, so, so the basic point being that... Ah, mashallah, now I remember. So, so the basic point being that if you are seeing a fault in your brother and sister, here's another uh, interesting, deep point to consider. Uh, the Prophet, may peace be upon him, says that we are all brothers and sisters, uh, we're mirrors for each other. Which means what? If you by default see a fault in someone else, that's actually a fault in you. That you've projected onto them. So if you see a fault in someone, so if I'm looking at Sage and I see a fault in him, that's actually a fault in me that I have projected onto him. It may also be a fault in him, but the fact that that's the one that I noticed, that's actually a statement about me. Mm-hmm. And so so this, uh, when you hear people gossiping, the easiest way to learn someone's personality is to learn what they're gossiping about regarding other people, and they're literally being an open book for you in terms of what they themselves are. If someone is slandering someone, um, same thing. They're actually telling you about themselves by pointing their tongue at someone else. And thus, it's vitally important that someone does not gossip or backbite or, or, or slander. Um, because So what's the difference between backbiting and slander? A slander is false. Slander is false. Backbiting is, is, is factually true. Um, but if that's what you're drawing attention to, uh, uh, in your baser self, it's like you're diverting attention away from you, but you're actually drawing attention unintentionally to something that is in yourself. And you look like you're about to say something. I'm not a smoker. What if I like? What if someone's smoking? Okay, but think of what you're noticing about the fact that they're smoking. Uh, perhaps an intention or an appetite or a smell, something like that. So that's the thing to look for. The the point that you mentioned about backbiting, I feel, this is my personal opinion, that what is the point of backbiting or gossiping? Like, if you think someone is wrong, why don't you, why can't you just go up to them and just say that I think you're wrong or I don't like this about you hmm. when you bet when you when you gossip about other people you're kind of showing that uh, you're basically showing who you are and what your personality is like and that's never a good attribute to have mm-hmm. I think there's like two different scenarios though. like one is where you're backbiting because you want to emotionally vent but you're doing it in, a, in the wrong setting like you should probably do it to someone um, that you trust like a like a friend like a friend, like a close friend, that if like you know, in a in a setting that you can vent and it's confidential, 
uh, for your own emotional well-being. But then there's also people who are entertained by gossip. And I think that's a different situation. I think that's more malicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I think even in the case of when you're talking to like a close friend or where it's confidential, you sh- still should refrain from saying negative things. Well, look at therapist, for example. Let's make it a confidential. Like a how, about, how about a chaplain? Whether it's not a, a chaplain, a chaplain. I don't trust chaplains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whether it's a, whether it's a chaplain or a therapist, you're still committing the act. Okay, keep going. I don't think so. No, you're right. In the case of like backbiting, you can't. You, you shouldn't. You, sh- you you still shouldn't say something about someone that they would not want to be said. Mm-hmm. Whether it's venting or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't help you, right? Okay. Because who's going to change that? Right? No one. Except Allah. So I think for me, the goal is that the therapist or chaplain will help you redirect that energy in a productive direction. Um, and you're doing it not with the intention of, like, talking about the person, but, like, you need some sort of... Con- the person needs some sort of context to help you be better. But you can talk about a situation and not ta- yeah. talk about the bad attributes of someone... Like, if it's possible, I think that totally works, but, but sometimes I don't think it's possible. But why would you, to, to a therapist or a chaplain, why would you talk about someone else's life? What if it's your, like, for example, your your sibling? Yeah, okay. Okay, you, how are you going to say? I mean, you can, you, you can definitely talk about the problem that you have with your sibling and mm-hmm. make that discussion center around you, but then why would you take... For example, even if it's your sibling, why would you bring up their situation when they're not present? Like, their situation on its own and talk about that. You wouldn't talk about it, their situation on its own, but I think if their existence is affecting your existence, it's definitely relevant to a therapy session or a chaplain session. But that's... I don't see that as backbiting. Yeah, I agree. Because backbiting is when you at least this is my definition and please correct me if I'm wrong but I think backbiting is something it's a situation where you're talking about someone else's life in a negative manner when it's not relevant to your own life or to your own situation whether it's with a friend that you're doing that with or a stranger uh, it can be for any purpose, then that's that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about you, it's not related right, to right. you. Right, right. Well, the, uh, go ahead. What are you um, even if it's like still related to you, the Prophet ﷺ said that backbiting is saying something about someone that they would not like for that for to be said about them. Mm-hmm. So whether you're saying it confidentially, whether you're saying it because it affects you, it's still not. So even if it's not related, right. But... Uh, what about the other side? When is it necessary to tell uh, negative things about someone? In the situation where you might, there might be possible harm to you if you don't say something. Okay, give me an example. Like if you are in an abusive relationship mm-hmm. and you need something to be done, you need to get out of this relationship and you need help doing it. You tell someone what has happened to you and perhaps they can help you get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. Because there's potential harm there. Mm-hmm. Or if you know someone who is getting married to someone, and and uh, and so you know some very important information that uh, that okay. So let's say 
So give me two names. Give me man's name and woman's name. Uh, Saad. Saad. And Sa- Sa- Saad. Saad and no. Sadia. Okay, Saad. Saad. So let's say Saad is marrying Sadia. And let's say Sage knows Saad really well and knows some things that Sadia may not know that Sadia may need to know. So let's say Saad, um, you know, has a, a, a history of, of drinking. Um, should Saad tell Sadia? Yes, because yeah. it's going to affect her life, and it is in you know it is a very important information for her to know. And if Saad is not the one telling Sadia about you know his drinking habits, then if the other if Sage knows that you know Saad is not going to do that, then Sage should step in and say the truth and what matters here is the approach like okay don't have like don't talk to Sadia for hours and be like um this is something that's wrong with Saad he does this 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 blah 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 like don't do it in that way but yeah just state the simple truth and just say that I am Saad's friend and he drinks and I think that is uh, an important information for you to know and so I just want to inform you that and then that's her decision whether she wants to get into that relationship or not. Should Sage talk to Saad first? Uh, I mean if if they're friends then yes because mm-hmm. then as a friend Sage should advise Saad that he should be the one to say the truth and mm-hmm. then it's her decision whether she wants to go ahead or not but if if Saad still says no, and if he's like, no, I'm not going to tell her I'm scared, or, you know, it's fine, I just drink, then I think it is okay for uh, for Sage to step in and say the mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. I feel like Sage would be more comfortable if he was asked for advice or asked for his opinion, but his unsolicited opinion, I think, is... Uh, I would. I think Sage would feel uncomfortable. Okay, so what if Sadia marries Saad, discovers that he drinks, and then Sadia knows that Sage has known him, uh-huh. and then she says, "Did you know this?" I say yes. Then why don't you tell me? Never asked. <laughs> okay, so then we're saying that people should should have to ask those things. Yes. And so, so this is this is a, p- a point where I'm going to shift and say, or to to disagree and say that no, you might have to get, uh, raise the point. You know, uh, none of us should feel comfortable in. I mean, I'm agreeing with that part of what you're saying. None of us should feel comfortable in saying something nasty about someone else, even if it's 100 percent true. But there are times where we do have to speak up. Uh, uh, if at the very least for the safety or well-being of, of someone else. Uh, and so the default yes should be that we cover up people's sins. Uh, that is what our absolute default should be. And then inshallah, Allah on the day of judgment will cover up our own sins. Uh, but if someone else is vulnerable to the harm of someone's ongoing sins, then we have to speak up. That's the that's the the difficult part because that is also part of community too, I mean because that's also an expression of love. Because think about it from this perspective: suppose, <clears throat> suppose Sadia is your sister, okay, 
and Saad, uh, uh, let's say, let's make it worse, Saad uh, has a history of relationships and abuse. And let's say Saad has a, a friend that you know, uh, which we call this person. Superman. <laughs> Superman, okay. <laughs> and, and, so, and so Superman knows that Saad has a history of abusive relationships. Sadia does not know, Sage does not know. Saad marries Sadia, your sister, okay? And then he does mean things to her. And then you go to Superman, did you know? And Superman has to say, yeah, but you didn't ask me. What you you were supposed to protect the world. Uh-huh. Yes, yeah, he was supposed to speak up. Exactly, yeah. So, so there are many times, not many, but there are times where unsolicited we do have to speak up. And so that's a fine line between gossip and obligation, meaning between sin and obligation. Meaning if it's factual and it's wrong, um, but it's their behavior, then you know, you just cover their sins. If it's, or I mean, if it's factual, it's, it's true, not factual or wrong. Well, if it's factual and it's their own sin, then your default is to cover up the sin. But if someone is going to be harmed, then you're obliged to uh, protect the person who's going to be harmed. The best way is to get the harmer to to change or to come forward. Uh, but if that person will not, then you have to go to the next step. And this is uh, this has been one of the issues in terms of community when you have misconduct of preachers. This is exactly the the, the, the same principle. You know. Okay, so so can I ask me? Yeah. I feel like, especially in terms of like, like mental health and like treatment and stuff, if you can't talk about people who are close to you, how are you supposed to reconcile yourself with them? You you can't. It's it's not feasible to keep it in for the duration of your life. Um, give me more. It's it's still too vague for me to understand. So in terms of like, um, talking about, for example, your immediate relatives, your immediate household, or like someone who's someone who's affecting your life in a negative way. I think a therapy session should absolutely be a place where you can talk about them mm-hmm. without it being backbiting. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, answering the points you were, you were all making about chaplains and therapists, uh, consider uh, that scenario is a little bit wider open. Uh, I mean, um, what's understood is that the goal is actually healing. Right. The goal is not malice. Right, right. And, and so, yeah, in my office on a daily basis, students will be talking about their parents, and I often have to make the point to the students, okay, I'm not passing judgment on your parents. We're figuring out how to find you healing. Or they'll talk about their siblings, they'll talk about their friends and such, and at the same point. And so, but very often, students will share all kinds of things about their parents uh, that in any normal context, you definitely should not. But the reason that they're doing it, the reason they're even in my office, is they're trying to, trying to find healing from real or perceived tyranny of the parents. And, so, yeah. so then, what matters is the intention and the approach. So, uh, in the same way, Allahu Alam uh, applies to every single thing, and then intention applies to every single thing. Yes, so and if, approach absolutely. If so, f- what I get from this is that if your intention is to heal, or you know, if it if you have a good intention yeah. and if your approach is right, then it's right. But if uh, not, I'm not saying it's automatically right because a terrorist will say the same thing, right? 
my, my approach is to bring everyone to Islam, so um, we're going to commit violence. So that would be an extreme version to say, just because my intention is good doesn't mean that in my, uh, my approach is automatically right. But generally speaking, if your uh, intention is towards something that is Islamic, like reconciliation, please forget the word healing, reconciliation, bringing two people together, then, uh, then the approach uh, can be uh, possibly right, yeah. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Another thing is, just because you're talking to a therapist or someone who's confidential, you should say as much as you can about the situation without backbiting. Like, it's not just a free pass, you know? I would agree that it's not a free pass, uh, but um, that's a good should that some people are... Uh, what happens, I'll put it like this. Uh, there are some students who know they're not supposed to share anything about their parents, right? Uh, but then as a result, they don't share anything. And, and then there's nothing for me to help them with. See what I'm saying? And so the default, yes, should be that you share nothing negative about anybody. And the extreme is that you're just a waterfall of, of everything. And even my brother, he doesn't even floss his teeth. I mean, so, so, I mean, so, 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 yeah. Um, and so the default should be minimum. But if they're in my office, they don't know how to express that. So, yeah, I'm agreeing with you. I'm saying when it comes into practice, easier said than done. Any other thoughts about that so far? I really admire people who floss. Mashallah. Yeah. Like, like floss, like the dance. Come closer to, to the microphone with your I really admire people who floss. I don't floss regularly. Okay, these are things, I mean, <laughs> just as these, are, you know, we should not share things about other people. There's also things we should not share about ourselves. Okay, please continue. <laughs> please do not tell us about your other dental lack of habits. Continue. It's an aspiration of mine. <laughs> Is that mint? Yeah. Would you yeah. like one? Yeah. yeah. Please. So anyway, so back to our original topic about faith. One of the original points we're making is that people have an innate need for something bigger and something better. And that includes an innate need to believe in meaning and an innate need to believe in injustice. Um, even though some people claim to believe uh, uh, the contrary. And then we talked about in terms of developing belief, the first step is, is to get founded in your belief itself. To know what it is, that'll help you know what it is not. And then we said another aspect of this is the benefit and detriment of interpersonal relationship, i.e. the community. And here it was both a comment of critique of common behaviors, but also uh, meaning like if someone is being condescending and imposing themselves upon you, as well as critique about the complaint of it, that a lot of times we complain, people are judging me when if I'm thinking people are judging me, then by definition, I'm judging them. Yeah. And, then, and then this last part, we even talked about some, some negative aspects, like you know uh, when gossip and backbiting um, uh, or other matters of the tongue are, 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 uh, are involved, then uh, when is it okay? But the bigger point is that gossiping is, is the fastest thing to destroy community, and then by extension, the fastest thing to destroy faith. Um, a person might stay in a community where they're surrounded by gossiping, but their child will probably not. 
And if you gossip about someone at first, if you're pointing out a flaw of someone, the most likely that's actually in you. The point I also didn't mention is that if you're slandering someone, you know, saying they do such and such, and you know it's a false accusation, you or your child definitely will do exactly what you have falsely accused someone of doing. And, and so if you falsely accuse someone of lying and you know it's a false accusation, you yourself will find yourself lying soon or your child will be lying. And this is also uh, another point, but the detriments of wrong use of, of the tongue. Um, did you have any more notes, any more articles? Or? Um, I listened to this podcast uh, by Zeba Khan. Okay. She's with Muslim Matters. Right. Yeah. And she talked. She talked about a lot of stuff. She talked about like struggle, and we talked also in in this, in this session about equating struggle with or not equating struggle with a uh, lack of faith or a lack of uh, discipline or whatever. Um, so one thing I took from that was to not make faith super simplistic in terms of. You know, faith will be will give you happiness, or right good deeds will give you or grant you a good life automatically. I think one one sentence she said was that there are people with true faith, but who are not happy, um, and also there are people with righteous behavior, but they have distressing hardships. Um, and she posi- she po- she posited two like rhetorical questions. One was. Is Islam broken in the first place? In the first case, the first case is was true faith, faith without happiness. Without happiness yeah. And the second case is is a person broken um, because their prayers are not answered if they're righteous, but they still face hardship. Um, and so, the conclusion of that podcast was that faithful people will still struggle in their faith and in life. Um, faith doesn't doesn't insulate you from hardship, but it prevents you from being broken by by that hardship um, so I think that's that was important mm-hmm. um, to anyone who's like learning about faith and who's experiencing the roller coaster of life thoughts I think I think you're all worn out that perhaps we should <laughs> pause here and then we can pick up on this at, at a different point inshallah the way you all look so drained. Okay. All right, we'll stop right here. We did give a simple review, and then we had this other point. Um, and inshallah, at some point, we'll revisit uh, Zeba Khan's uh, uh, points, inshallah. Should I have brought this up when we started? What? The, this, the whole podcast. Well, we, kind of, we, kind of, we kind of touched on it. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to cite, cite it, cite yeah. my source. Okay, very good. We'll stop right here. Because so I did the research. Yes, yes, mashallah. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka natubi ilayk. Subhanakallahumma glory to you, O Allah. Wabihamdika praise and gratitude are to you. Nashadu illa ilaha illa anta. We bear witness there is no God but you. Nastaghfiruka, we seek your forgiveness. Wa natubi ilayk. Wa akhiru da'wana. Anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.